Welcome back to The Experience Makers, the podcast brought to you by Wonderman Thompson Technology. I'm Joe Milne, and once a month, we'll be reimagining customer experience with guests from across the marketing technology industry. In a post-pandemic world, retailers need to embrace the fact that having a flexible, agile and future-proof commerce solution is critical to success. Consumer expectations are now higher than ever before, and fashion retailers need to remain at the forefront of new trends and technologies. It's no surprise that this front is increasingly being fought digitally. Discussing how the pandemic has affected retail both online and in-store, in this episode, we're bringing together the technical, strategic and experiential skills of Wonderman Thompson Commerce's senior consultant, Chioma Onokuru, Attracts Head of Strategic Business, Imran Shudri, and UK Commercial Director for Commerce Tools, James Dye, to fully understand what today's fashion consumers expect from retailers and brands. Touching upon findings from the recent Future of Fashion report, our guests consider how businesses can ensure that they're providing consumers with what they really want. If you want to hear more on this hot topic, you can download the full report via the link in the podcast synopsis. Thank you all for coming and joining us on the show. Um, we've got a really interesting topic today, uh, specifically focusing in and around the themes of this report, fighting for the future of fashion, which sounds pretty bombastic, but a great topic to be talking about. Before we get going into diving into some of the, the big trends when it comes to the future of fashion, uh, specifically talking about the challenges and what's been happening this year. Let's take a, a zoomed back approach, wind the clock back, think about more generally what is happening in terms of the fashion industry, the global fashion industry right now. What would be the biggest trends when I sort of say to you what's what's happening in fashion and what's the future look like? Choma, let's, let's go to you first. Um, yeah, so aside from more people shopping online and more being spent online. Um, and this is outside of COVID. I think that was kind of the trend that was happening pre-pandemic anyway. A few of the key things that stand out just in general is the importance of omni-channel. So the understanding that consumers shop different channels. It's not a linear shopping journey. They shop different channels and they use different channels for different parts of the shopping journey. And something that came out in the report, but that we're seeing just generally across all research pieces. Um, and probably quite interestingly, physical stores and physical experiences still play a key role in, in that shopping journey. Um, what else is happening? Experience. So we talk about experience a lot and experience is key, of course. But I think what's coming out is probably being slightly more important than experience is service. So I think we say internally that experience is key, but service is key. Um, and being able to focus on kind of a service-led experience versus kind of the, the traditional kind of um, customer experience and, and some of the things that are more around the user journey and the user interface. Um, and I think a key topic for anyone at the moment is sustainability, right? So sustainability is vital and super important to consumers. And I think from a brand and retailer perspective, it's important to acknowledge that there's a huge amount of responsibility for the environment that lies on the sh shoulders of companies. Um, so yeah, I think kind of those are the main things that are happening in the industry. And James, come to you. Um, I think COVID has seen fashion retailers become a lot more focused on profitability. And it's become clear that more products or more collections don't necessarily result in better financial results. Um, especially when that stock is uh, locked inside a store. Um, fashion retailers and brands are recognizing uh, they need to reduce complexity, um, find ways to increase full price sales. Um, so moving more to a on-demand approach to assortments rather than one purely focused on seasons. 
Um, so this sort of less is more approach is, is really helping support sustainability, um, also help support a, a more healthy balance sheet as well. And Imran, anything from you? Traditionally, we've thought about how do you differentiate service in store? I think now, though, we need to be thinking about how do we differentiate service online? And, and that's beyond just things such as delivery, fulfillment and availability. For sure, that is super important. But in terms of differentiating that online service, I mean, just as a, as a plain example, you know, I, I can go to many a, a retail stores and, and type in, let's say, white men's T-shirt and then the number of results that you get is slightly mind-boggling. There's too much choice. So to the point that James has mentioned about, you know, just adding more to the collection, adding more SKUs, that doesn't necessarily have a direct impact into actually making more sales. I think in some t- some cases, we're, we're, we're creating too much choice, but not helping the consumer when they hit the digital website where all this choice seems to be. Um, in, in being guided into making the right choice. Um, so I think I think how you differentiate that online store experience now needs to now needs to take a little bit more of a precedent. I wonder because you've all touched on I guess this idea of the the, the shift for, towards experience and towards service and and you mentioned sustainability, but let's we'll we'll, we'll get we'll dive into that maybe a bit deeper later. I wonder if you could maybe give us some examples of of what that looks like from from a brand perspective. What brands have been doing? What does that shift? What was it before? And what is it now that's really kind of um, I guess showcases that 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 trend or that movement that you're that you're talking about, Choma. So I think traditionally experience, we always spoke about the customer experience as being the website interface or kind of the the optimization that you do within the shopping journey on a, on a website or even on any digital channel. I think what we mean by service is more what you offer to your customers. And I think for a former company that you, I worked with, we called it the three P's. Um, so it was about product, price and proposition. And I think it stands out massively in the report around the, the need for consumers to have things like fast delivery and free returns and a broad and attractive product range. And those are the fundamentals in any customer experience over like overriding the okay well I can filter and I can sort and those things are absolutely important but actually if I get to checkout and my product my order is going to be delivered in two weeks or actually I look into what the returns process is and I will be charged an obscene amount to return one product it probably doesn't matter as much that I was able to filter effectively and had a great search experience, for example. So I think that's what we mean about service or I can actually offer and probably extended to that what other services brands can offer outside of those three P's. So, you know, as, as Imran touched on in store, there was it was all about customer service. It was about the experience, that, the personal experience I can offer to customers. How can that be replicated online also outside of kind of those fundamentals that we know consumers are looking for? So I think attract we are we are a search merchandise and personalization platform, and you know a, over the COVID period, a lot of our customers obviously needed support, um, and we started to see some interesting things in the way that people were searching and, and going through that that pro- process of discovery. Some of those people probably weren't you know digitally minded. Some of them. Um, it wasn't their preferred channel of purchase and something. 
Um, but what we what was interesting was we have seen a trend, especially around search queries, whereby natural language is being used, and and that might be because of you know we are all using things like Alexas and Google devices and home where we're starting to become a bit more trained into using voice for searching for things, and I guess that's now translating into the actual search on um, on websites. So we had one grocer in particular whereby um, we, we were looking at natural language and dealing with search queries like kids' healthy meals. Um, typically, that you know, this for this for this grocer, they were coming back with zero results, which isn't great. And um, what we were able to do was use AI to help identify those kind of terms, those that kind of language, and give a search result that was more relevant to to their actual natural language query. So you've all mentioned COVID and of course, I mean, it's funny doing these kind of, um, these podcasts over the last, uh, year to begin with, we were sort of saying, are we talking about COVID too much? Is this going to be a long-term thing? And we're, you know, a year on and it's obviously been a humongous thing and we really cannot escape it. And when we're talking about the future of X, um, really what happens now coming out of the pandemic and reckoning with all the changes that pandemic has, has brought on um, is going to be a key part of, of what that future is. So I'd love to just hear um, from each of you, you know, as things start to change now, restrictions are continuing to ease um, at the moment, customers are starting to return to stores. Um, what are the, some of the, the challenges that are keeping retailers up at night? And also a little bit about some of the, you know, what is it that's working for retailers and what's been holding the ones that perhaps haven't survived or are struggling to survive, what's been holding them back. So a little bit from each of you on on the state of play with COVID. James, let's start with you. I think some of the challenges that were exposed during COVID still exists now, even though stores are reopening. Um, we may never see physical retail for, for return to, to the pre-COVID levels. Um, one of the biggest challenges, I think, was, was not having a, a clear view of stock in store. Um, some fashion retailers are always better than others are in this area, but for some, and actually for most, it never really was their top three priority to fix. However, when COVID hit and the stores were closed, this became a massive problem. Uh, you can't really enable click and collect. Also, you don't really have capacity in the warehouse uh, to move it all there either. So uh, the big issue for all retailers, and again, especially in fashion, is where stock is seasonal and has a limited shelf life. Um, so uh, before you have to discount it or, or worst case, send it to landfill. Um, so I, I imagine really kind of having millions of pounds of stock locked in store must have kept uh, quite a number of fashion retailers uh, up at night. Choma, what about you? I suppose if I was heading up a retail business, what would be keeping me up at night besides hoping that stores, my stores don't close again, would be maybe I'd be thinking – Number one, do I have a digital experience? I really hope the answer to that is yes for most companies. But is my digital experience good enough to offset my physical store losses? And I think, you know, over the past five, 10 years, we've seen a big shift to online from a brand and company perspective. But actually, the investment needed to ensure that that experience is up to scratch maybe has been lacking. Um, I think a lot of, in terms of your question around what's holding companies back, and I, I think I'm, I'm going, to, going to be quite upfront and candid here, I think that a, there's a huge investment that's needed in kind of the, the digital channel and the digital space. And I think 
for many in many organizations, it's not something they're experienced in. It's not something that they're used to. And so from a perspective of having the right people, having the right expertise, there are holes and gaps. And I think in some cases, being able to identify and being able to close those gaps is what's holding people back. Um, because in terms of being able to make the right decisions for digital and be able to decide what your digital strategy is, if it's the case that you're in an organization where you don't think you have that skill set, I think there is a reluctance or maybe just a, 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 a people just, uh, there isn't an acceptance of trying to get the right people in to make those decisions um, and, and to be able to come up with those strategies. Do you think it's a, a, a sort of known unknown or, uh, you know, these, these retailers don't know what they don't know sort of sort of problem? What, what do you think is that really rooted in? I think for most, it's it's an unknown. I, th- I think it's, it's, it's believing that they're doing the right thing without accepting that maybe they might not be doing the right thing. You know, I think a, a lot of digital and I think the way that most of us think it, most of it can fall down to common sense. But there are some really specific areas where you need specific level skill sets and expertise. And I think it's bringing the right people in and identifying where your gaps are personally. Awesome. Imran, we'd love to hear you uh, your thoughts on, on what's happening about COVID. I think mean, the things that would be keeping me worried, worried at night, and we saw it obviously during COVID, is, is is where is my stock? But also, obviously, how can I manage and fulfill that and meet the customer's customer promise? Now, order management in retail has been an ongoing um, need or a gap that needs filling. And I think what we saw during COVID is those those organizations that have taken an API approach to the architecture of their tech stack, they've been able to swap in and out capabilities very quickly, such as order management. Whereas those that are, let's say, on a monolith or um, have a lot of technical debt, that ability to change has been a lot harder and therefore it's, it's taken a lot more time, resource, effort and cost. So I think what this has raised is, yes, the need for order management to handle the the stock situation, but also it's highlighted the technical debt and the way that we are architecting our technical stack to support the business. It's crucial that we're starting to think about agility and the ability to, to move at speed. As Imran says, yeah, I think technology is really holding fashion retailers back, but it's not just technology. It's also a mindset. Um, most fashion retailers are, as everyone was saying, stuck on these big monolithic legacy systems that were built for a day when there only really was one channel, and that channel was web. Um, and they really weren't built for change. Change came with big budgets, big timelines, big risk. And that's really not what modern businesses want. They need to be able to pivot, make small investments, run quick experiments, be able to react to big changes like lockdown, um, to be able to do that, the, the winners don't necessarily need to become tech companies like Amazon or ASOS or Zalando, but they have to emulate some of the decisions these companies have made. Um, a really big one is, is microservices. Um, so the idea of breaking complex systems into, into the Lego block pieces, um, making sure those, those blocks are independent, can be worked on independently at low risk and can be experimented upon. Um, however, it's not just the technology that needs to change. Um, once change uh, no longer is this big, scary thing, 
Um, you can move from being a thinking business, which you had to be because change was risky, to being a doing business. But the only way really to do that is to democratize that change. You have to push the change decisions down to those who are closest to the pain and who are most able to fix it. So what do you, what do you think is the next, the best next step then? I'm going to stick with you, James, because I think it's, it's interesting what you were saying there about um, how change happens and, and thinking about these really arguably very difficult systems to change, but frankly, ones that are the ones most in, in need of it. I'm thinking about a lot of companies have, you know, switched a lot of their operations to online over the last year. Sometimes they've done overhauls. A lot of the times it's been sort of patchwork, trying to stop the leaks and, and just try and survive under these these new, um, I guess, circumstances that we've all been living in. What happens now as, you know, people are trickling back to stores, restrictions are eased. How do you start to marry what basically has been arguably pulled together in survival mode over the last year with this idea of actually there's probably a bit of an overhaul required both from a technology and mindset perspective is now the time to do that big change or is it how do we try and somehow keep this patchwork and turn it into our sort of main process going forward does that make sense yeah yeah, definitely i I think businesses have to change more now than than ever Uh, and as you say Gemma, a lot of retailers have lived through a period of forced experimentation uh, been forced to rapidly innovate, uh, to hack systems, to, uh, to make them work in, in a new way. Um, a lot of the underlying technology built during COVID or, or more likely probably uh, manual processes that have been initiated to, uh, to enable a lot of these new processes are unlikely to stay. So they're just unsustainable when we move more into kind of a business as usual as the stores open up. Um, however, what will stay and what will be reused is the learning of, of what worked and might, or maybe what didn't work during this period. Um, specifically, retailers will have the evidence they, of success they need to build business cases and ROI equations around the new initiatives that may have been hacks, but now they want to really build them out in a scalable, stable way. However, more generally, um, I think the learning will be that the underlying technology that they have is just not fit for purpose, and it needs to, as we said before, be built for change. So in the future, they don't need to do these hacks. Uh, the, 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 whatever they build can be scalable from, from, from day one. Yeah, let's, let's go into maybe some, hopefully get some, maybe some examples. Um, Imran, I'm going to come to you first. Learning from sort of retailers and brands that have managed the transition between in-store and online commerce well, I mean, what have been their sort of key differentiators? Have you got a couple of examples? No need to name names, but just some examples to bring to life what it really means to do this well. Yeah, I mean, we, we've we've got a luxury um, luxury brand. Admittedly, the footfall through their store is a lot lower, and there's a high expectation around service. And you know, I think I think Jeremy, you know, in one of your podcasts of late, you talked about five years transformation within twelve weeks, and I think that momentum for this luxury brand really hit home. We we can't we can't let just the momentum of digital. Um, be for online, but also we need to push that now into store. So, you know, the first step that we're looking at with them is around how can we get get everyone one view of um, the data. So, you know, instead of some data around customer purchases being in store or in um, in, in 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 e-commerce or where, wherever the data pool is, and, and kind of being siloed across those channels, let's get everyone one view of the customer. And then with that one view, let's start allowing people to be better informed as to how 
they engage with a customer based on maybe their, their you know their spending habits that you know are they a vip are they frequent or are they only coming when there's a sale because you know depending on that you might want to you, you might want to engage with them differently but you know also what brands are they um do they prefer um what was their last purchase what was their last maybe return or issue being able to have that information as james says from a clienteling perspective will really transform you know that in-store experience and make it very memorable but also very relevant and and just to add to that because i I completely agree with everything that you said imran i think the people that are winning within that space also are the ones that understand the nuances between that single view of customer. So don't just take that. Might There is this one customer and they shop in this one way, but actually they shop. There is a one customer who shops differently across different areas, so across shops differently in store to how they shop online, to how they shop on any other channel that they're using to shop. And I think that was highlighted in the report as well about just how consumers use different channels for different parts of the journey. It's not just a clear cut view of, okay, well, this is what, this is who my customer is and this is what they purchase. So therefore I'm going to create a relevant experience. It's also, this is how they purchase within store, within online, within wherever, and being able to create, you know, a relevant experience based on that with an understanding that actually they probably want a different experience. And I think it kind of ties into the whole personalization dilemma, whereas what level of personalization do you go to to create a relevant experience? And I'm sure we all have experience of being trapped in a filter bubble, for example, because a company has taken a single view of you at that moment in time, but actually your preferences change over time and actually you your preferences and how you behave changes. And I think that's that nuance has to be considered and is a really fundamental, important part of of um, looking at customers and behavioural data. Yeah, it is that balance that, you know, we can collect all this data and that's great, but we need to do something that, you know, one has some value. So there's a value exchange with the customer because if we're not given some form of value back, then the walls come up and they're not going to want to share that data with you or, or, you know, those preferences. But I think the other side of it is how do you actually scale when you're getting so much data and I do think, I do think AI provides a, a way to 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 help with scaling, but I don't agree. And we, as a company, you know, we're recommendations, you know, engine. We we don't believe in the black box mentality, you know. And and I think that's that's something that we again we saw last year is people started to put black boxes in to make recommendations. It, it potentially actually actually had a bad effect to customer experience and shopping behavior because some of the recommendations weren't in context um, but also you know traditional merchandisers and trading teams were not getting the rationale behind why that algorithm or that black box was given that recommendation so you know the way that we work is yeah AI is, is, is going to be crucial to do something useful and scale with all of this data but you've always got to have you know the triggers and levers and control that for for merchandisers to manage it um, and and for them to retain that creative control and I, and I think that that's where we're probably going to start seeing a little bit more of a, a a difference in ways of working whereby merchandisers and trading teams aren't doing everything but they're doing more of the volume added activities and tasks around creative um, and and performance trading rather than mundane things. 
Choma, you look like you want to add something to no, that. No, I just I I vehemently agree with Imran, and there were there were business considerations to factor in as well. I'm so against black box solutions because there are business requirements that have to be adhered to. Also, absolutely customer first, you know, drive the customer experience. But also, you you need to keep your business flowing, and there are objectives from a business strategy perspective that need to be factored into things like AI and you know, kind of um any algorithmic. Uh, tooling that you have and even just the commerce platform and how it's set up and structured as well and so I, I, I massively agree with being able to retain some influence and control over the, the machines. Let's let's um, let's move on to kind of a, a slightly different topic just kind of I'm thinking about all the different things you guys have been saying particularly about this idea of you know really having to have this understanding and savviness and um I don't know, just just a bit more um, building from the base of being online first or, or being digital first and, and getting what that's all about, which retailers that are only online or completely focused online like ASOS, like Boohoo will have because that's you know how they exist versus, of course, you're also saying that it's great to be able to have you know, real people on the shop floor who can have that personal touch, provide that kind of experience with customers, um, but also be able to contextualize um, a a real person and their needs and their wants um, right there um, in the moment. So, uh, you know, do brands with stores have an advantage or a disadvantage when we're thinking about all these changes? Uh, is it really about, you know, having the the, the tech know-how that all the online brands kind of already have to some degree? Um, or is it about actually, no, there's a real, um, I don't know, thing that's unique to having that store and really just leaning on that? I'd love to hear each of your views on, on this kind of one or the other mentality that sometimes we talk about when we talk about the future of retail. James, let's start with you. Yeah, I mean, in theory, they should have a massive advantage, people with physical retail, because yeah, you get to have that brand experience in a in a in a, in a human way. Um, you get to touch feel products, um, um, but the reality is that's not really the case. Um, I think starting off with, I think things can be improved. Um, improve are we seeing improving in frictionless payments again taking the colleagues away from the tills and actually putting them on the shop floor um uh there's there's things you can do we've talked about in terms of having a better connected experience bringing more digital in store um but i'm um, kind of unfortunately the realities we're living in and the fact that realities that retailers are living in is margins were never great for most retailers now they've got increasing rates increasing rents uh the movement from the kind of the amazons and the marketplaces and they're just getting pushed and pushed and pushed um and they don't have a lot of budgets to to experiment um and they as going back they need these systems in place to be able to do that to be able to move quickly and make these experiments but um, a lot of them are stuck um and they're also siloed in their technology and their data as Imran was saying but also siloed in their mindset in terms of teams separate teams looking after the different businesses so Unfortunately, what we're seeing now in physical retail is the, the indecisiveness. Uh, they're not able to move because they're held back by, by legacy, but they're not even able to make any decisions. Um, and they're just sort of being, apart from the select few, they're sort of being steamrolled by the, the online businesses. And, and COVID has obviously been, in some ways, and Brexit has been 
kind of one thing after another. So in theory, I think they probably have an advantage, but the reality in terms of where retail's at, you people that have come from more of a technology mindset, a software delivery speed of change mindset compared to businesses who have stores and stores are complicated things. It's very hard to train colleagues on technology and things have to happen slowly for lots of reasons. And that's not the world anymore. People expect changes to be quicker. Choma, what's your thoughts on that? It's a difficult one to answer. I don't think it's, it's not black and white. It's, it all depends on the role of the store within your business. And I think it goes back to the understanding of how your customers shop in store versus shop online. You know, companies like ASOS and Boohoo, they have hundreds of thousands of products in their catalog. Can they replicate that in a store environment? Probably not. Did their customers want them to replicate that in the store environment? Probably not. It might be a nice to have, but for most of them, they're probably happy shopping online. Whereas another business with a different catalog, different range, different customer, actually it might be more important to have a physical space and, and allow customers to have a connection to the brand in a physical environment. So it really, to me, it really depends on the customer and the brand, you know, and, and fundamentally it's about understanding the role of the store versus the role of your digital channels. Um, and I think that's what mo- many retailers are missing. What is the role of store and how do your customers want to shop in store? I know, from some research that we've done across the board and what was what has come out in, in this report as well, is that actually different demographics shop in-store and use in-store for different reasons. So optimize your in-store space based on, on that. And those companies will have the advantage because actually they're giving customers what they want. So we've touched um, a little bit on different kinds of technologies or at least approaches to um, technologies um, in order to kind of answer this question of what brands actually need to do to to give this consistent customer experience and really keep up with how things are, are moving. Um, but retail technology and customer expectations are constantly changing. So how should retailers sort of choose what to invest in and when and why? And, you know, how do they separate hype from what's sort of a genuine game changer? Um, we mentioned, some, you know, AI earlier, which has its peaks and troughs of when it gets trained. Trendy, even sustainability, unfortunately, is sometimes a trendy topic as opposed to something we should just be thinking about all the time. So I'd love to hear from, from the three of you, how should retailers, I guess, even begin to work out what they should be doing, what they should be paying attention to and what they should crucially then invest in in order to stay ahead? Choma, Liz, I'm going to start with you this time. Um, I can give a perspective from, so I've always been in quite operational roles and I've always seen technology and, and I'm a big tech fan, by the way, as much as I'm a layman, um, it, as being an enabler. Um, and I think sometimes companies think, really big before they think small and go after kind of big pieces of tech and the kind of fancy technology before they could actually put in something that would be quite basic that will enable and make their business units more efficient. You know, you think of even even the use of AI, you know, people, most companies go straight to kind of all bells and whistles, fancy, you know, kind of one-to-one personalization or, you know, something that's really like visual search or something like that. Actually, a lot of these technologies can be used at a smaller scale. So things like attribution of products, um, and Imran, I'm sure you can talk more to this, uh, visual technology can be used for attribution of products. And it means that actually you're enabling and making business functions. So teams that would classify and attribute 
large catalogues more efficient because the bulk of that can be taken away by technology and leave the people to do maybe more subjective things that can't be handled by technology, for example. So I always see tech as an enabler. And my advice would always be look at what will better your business processes from a technology point before you go to kind of the fancy new shiny technologies. Imran, you were you were nodding away there. I'm going to go to you next. Yeah, so I, I think it's um, I think vendors are always going to be biased to that question. So I'll put that out there right now. So I think you know, um, I mean, when commerce, you know, we we worked with them in the past on things like maturity assessments, and that really does help you understand what are the to James's point earlier, what are the chunks that you can bite off bit by bit rather than a big bang approach, be it an operational. Um, be it um, kind of a, a trading or be it a tech. So I think I think being able to get a view, you know, a state of play view, but then start to chunk that up into bite-sized pieces that each one delivers some form of value if it is you're chipping away at the monolith. You know, instead of do big bang, kind of chunk it up and see where the values are, get the value and then move to the next is is a biggie. I mean, we um to to the point around AI absolutely agree the number of customers that come to us about oh we need one-to-one personalization and 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 they just still haven't fixed some basic things i think there's some basic things that we look at when a customer comes to us we kind of do a critique we kind of build our own like mini version of an assessment to try and understand where are the quick things that actually are going to add some value and generally speaking dare i say it I mean, on average, we find 15% of search queries result in zero results. And, you know, it's just simple things like that that actually could get fixed quite quickly um, to to try and restore those essential basics that everyone should be doing before moving to that, you know, kind of full on personalization one to one and all, all, all the crazy hype stuff we hear. You know, so don't get me wrong, we do all of that, but at the same time, we, we, we kind of want to start small, start proving the value and start figuring out how we kind of align to your roadmap if you are trying to make some of these changes, but also show value fast. And James, come to you. So I'd especially like to also hone in on that point around choosing what to invest in. I mean, it's also about weighing up as well, isn't it, right? About value versus upfront cost. I mean, you were talking earlier about chunking things up as opposed to doing it um, all at once. So yeah, tell us a little bit about how you think retailers should think about, uh, you know, separating the hype from the from the knot and, and really weighing up that value question. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Um, I think going back to Imran's point around um, kind of knowing where you are, the maturity kind of index, kind of where you are, um, going after some low-hanging fruit that are very obvious if you kind of want to be the, the fast follower and see what's worked elsewhere. Um, but you see a hell of a lot of gimmicky stuff getting in store. So often you see a press release and you go in three months later and it's in the corner with dust on it or it's just disappeared because it's adding no value to the experience or not helping the colleague sell. So it kind of, kind of went. Where, where we are in commerce stores, we deal with probably more the technically mature customers, the ones that are looking at technology and saying, what is technology to us? Is, is it just an enabler or is it a differentiator? And we sent aside more with the differentiators and they can't necessarily be the fast followers because that's their that's their moats they're building around competitors and they've already got our systems in place which allows us agility speed flexibility choice and there for them there is no exact answer of what is the thing to invest in but they're able to run really lean quick experiments 
Um, and again, not having to go through a whole sign-off process. They just test something in a lean way, get some data. If the data kind of goes in the right way, then they can invest more in that product, that service, whatever they're doing. If it's not, then they can roll it back. Um, so that's kind of let data decide. And normally the time it took to get a project signed off, you could have launched it, tested it, rolled it back. And that's kind of the speed we're seeing. And the legacy vendors that were stuck on, uh, they used to have to cr- um, compress all your changes into uh, something called a release cycle. So to reduce the risk, you only really released maybe once a month if you're lucky. So effectively, legacy uh, retailers are stuck only being able to do changes 12 times a year. And how can you possibly compete with Amazon are pushing code line every every 12 seconds? Um, so that's kind of uh, where now the, our customers are able to push code live every day, a couple of times a week, and they're testing continuously, improving, iterating, low uh, low cost, low risk. And then what, 90% of the tests will be, will be failures, but they'll learn from those failures. But the 10% where they see those margin growth, then that's the differentiator, and that's kind of the, what, what will enable them to win against some of their competitors. Choma, I want to go back to something you introduced earlier on as a theme, which was all about this sort of changing uh, mindset and, and working out what you don't know and, and all that sort of thing. And when we're talking about all these new technologies, I mean, how can retailers and brands ensure the staff are fully engaged to make the most of these new technologies? What does that sort of mindset shift look like um, in the inner workings of the companies themselves? Definitely. It's about connecting technology teams to the business teams. And and I'm really surprised sometimes still working with clients and seeing that divide, like seeing those siloed functions and siloed um, teams within organizations that everyone is working to the same goal ultimately, right, which is the goal of the organization, the goal of the company, goal of the brand. But yeah, we still find ourselves in places where actually you have people in one pocket working on completely different objectives to those in another. And I think the key there is by connecting the two. You know, I I think we've seen more of kind of the the introduction of like project uh, product owners and product managers that try to be that conduit between technology and the business. But in whatever way you do that, those two functions need to be aligned. You know, they need to be identifying kind of the the, the approach from an operational and business perspective is in what are our goals? What are we trying to achieve? What are our challenges? And then from a technology perspective, being able to, to help with those as well as what, what technology do we need to drive the business forward to align to those business goals? And therefore, they can work through the priorities of, of those things and be able to then understand what's needed and be aligned and consistent in what the approach is. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a really sad reality that we're still in a place where you talk to businesses and actually their technology teams have no idea what a business do. And the business team are frustrated by all of the things that are being released by the technology team because it doesn't help them with their everyday tasks and their goals. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a big thing that it's a small thing that p- businesses can do, but I think a big thing that makes a really big impact if you don't do. If I could just add, um, so you know, there's head office business and tech, but don't forget the store teams. I mean, it's interesting you use the word gap there, because, uh, Trauma, because, you know, we used to use the word mind the gap, of, you know, that there is a gap between, you know, head office and store sometimes. And it's not enough to say you've got one person from store in your project team as part of your design thinking, you know, session. You need, but you've got one person from store, but you've got like five or ten from head office. It just doesn't stack up. If you are looking, to put, if you're looking to put more, let's say, if you're looking to change the in-store experience or put more tech 
into the in-store experience and into the store store employees' hands, they need to be part of that change. They need to inform what that should look like because they're the best people to do it. And it needs to be a group of them. It can't just be, unfortunately, what I've seen in the past, just one person from the flagship store because that's not a good barometer of actually the, the, the network of stores and the employees in those stores. Yeah, it's definitely what I've seen before. Like if, you, if the store colleagues don't feel like they have efficacy in the decision-making process, it's going to be very hard for them to support it. Also, we've seen the businesses that are winning are looking at the colleague apps they're giving to them in the same way they look at the customer apps um, in terms of their user experience. Okay, it doesn't need to be as polished as a customer-facing, but you really need to be thinking about what, who, which colleagues are using them in what situations and build it for them. It's, um, it's amazing how much technology still needs training. You get no training to, to download when you download an app from the app store. Um, you just give it to somebody and they can use it. And that has to be the same mindset. So often you go into stores and you look at the technology and like, no, we can't touch that button. You have to do the, all these workarounds that have been hacked around the edges. And if you're not making the colleague's life easier, they won't use the technology. They want to help customers. They want to give that experience. And if you're helping them to do that, they will use it and they will take it on. But if it makes their life 10% more more difficult, then it will be in a drawer with dust on it within 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 two months. I want to end on one one final question um, for you all. We like to end these episodes with a, a little bit of practical advice um, for the listeners who've been who've been tuning in and um, and hopefully have been agreeing and nodding along with a lot of the points that, that you've all been saying um, over the last week while. So let's talk a little bit about this. The main question, I guess, we're all trying to answer when we're thinking about the future of fashion, the future of retail, is what is it brands actually need to do to ensure they provide a consistent customer experience across all their platforms? That seems to be a bit of the the holy grail and what we kind of keep coming back to in these discussions so what practical advice a little bit from each of you would you give to retailers looking to navigate this post-pandemic industry and ensure that they're really providing their customers with what they really want james let's start with you yeah i mean it's going back to some things we said getting the foundations right um we can't expect fashion retailers to become tech businesses but they, so they need to emulate some of those decisions uh, they need systems built for change rather than built for now. The only certainty in retail is really uncertainty, and you kind of need the systems ready to deal with it. That is a fundamental. And as part of that process, I'm not necessarily being a tech business. You don't need big in-house teams. You can partner with Wonder, people like Wonderman who, who have those great partner relationships, but you need somebody in the business at a senior level who has had a foot in the engineering before, who gets these movements to the modern world, who can translate some of these things to the business and so they can understand the value because without that person, none of these things will happen and you'll be um, suckered to some vendors out there that are unscrupulous and will come in with very shiny demo wear and it looks amazing and they promise everything and then actually reality is so far from what they've shown and takes so much longer. You need someone on your side to ask the right questions to kind of uh, expose that. So right people, right technologies is the biggest piece of advice. Amazing. Mram. So I think there's lots of things, obviously, we've all got got opinions. I think the one one thing I would share, and we've talked about it, uh, and that is around AI. Dare I say, if you're if you're not experimenting with how AI can help improve your business efficiency and allow you to scale, then you're you're going to find yourself behind the curve. Um, it's not, as we've said before, it, it's not a case of big bang. It's trying to find some use cases where you can go and test, you can go play, you can go learn. But if you aren't experimenting with with AI, um, and I don't mean the black box type, <laughs> then 
you're going to come out of this and find you're on a back foot. Awesome, Imram. And finally, Choma. I, I think along with everything that James and Imran have said, be brave in making decisions. Be prepared to make tough decisions. You know, we're living in unprecedented times, so make unprecedented decisions. I feel like there's a bunch of senior people in organizations that have t- are sitting on big, tough decisions. Act quickly. Um, make them. I think they know what needs to change. Change it. Love that. Nice, bold and uh, short and to the point uh, comment there to finish us off. I think that's a great a great note to end on. Choma, James, Imran, thank you so much for coming and joining uh, us on the show, sharing your expertise, your advice and your, your nice, frank, candid opinions, as we always like to hear on these kind of shows. So thanks very much. You've been listening to The Experience Makers, a Wonderman Thompson technology podcast. You can follow us at One Thompson Tech on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, or visit us at wondermanthompson.com. Make sure you tune into next month's episode of The Experience Makers, where we'll continue the experience conversation, helping businesses thrive in today's experience economy.